Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for being a God that's not silent to us, but that has many things to say to us, and we pray, Lord, that you'd make us able to hear them, to obey them this morning in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Matthew chapter 5, and we're here really with a very short text to consider this morning. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That's our verse for this morning. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, so far as we've been covering these verses, which are really verses three through 11, we've been in the Beatitudes, and they all start off with this word blessed. And we've seen how people, for example, in verse three, the ones who are poor in spirit, they're called blessed. And in verse four, we've seen how the ones who are in a state of mourning, they're called blessed. And in verse five, we've seen how the ones who are called the meek, they're blessed. And the ones who in verse six are the ones who are hungry and thirsty after righteousness, they're blessed. And in verse seven, the merciful, they're blessed. In verse eight, which we're gonna cover this morning today, those that are pure in heart, they're blessed. And then in verse nine, what you're gonna see later, it's the peacemakers, they're blessed. Verse 10, the ones who are persecuted for righteousness sake, they're blessed. And in verse 11, the ones who are maligned and reviled and persecuted and have all manner of evil spoken against them, they're blessed. Now, this is not the type of people we would call blessed. I mean, so that means that there's a disconnect between our understanding of blessed and what's meant in this, these verses about blessed because all these people that we're reading about here, they're in pretty terrible conditions. And, and we wouldn't call them blessed, so we gotta understand, what does he mean by blessed? I mean, the far, they're the farthest thing from what we would call blessed. What the world calls blessed is clearly not these people. It's not the ones that the Lord Jesus is speaking about. Who the world calls blessed are the ones who, are the people who are happy because everything's going their way. And the world says, now that's a person who's blessed. He has a great life. And we see people who've got a lot of money and they can buy whatever they want. And the world says, now that's a person that's blessed. He's got lots of money. When the world sees a person who has great relationships with his family and with his friends, then the world says, that's a blessed person. He's got a great family. He's got great network of friends. When the world sees a person who's got a great job and where he gets up every morning and says, I love my work. I love to go to work because I enjoy it so much. The world says, that's a person who's blessed. He's got a great job. When the world sees a person who's got a great marriage, 
who couldn't be happier being married to the person and they're madly in love with that person, the world looks at that person and says, now that's a person that's blessed, got a great marriage. When a person looks at a person who his schedule is filled with what new party he's gonna go to next and life is one big beach for him, he says, that's a person that's blessed. The world looks at a person who's just naturally good-natured, he's cheerful, and the world says, good-natured, that's blessed. But none of those things are referred to in verses three through 11. So clearly, what the world calls blessed and what the Lord is meaning by blessed here in these verses, they're just not the same. As a matter of fact, it's just the opposite. When in verse three, it says that the poor spirit are blessed, the world protests and said, no, the poor are not blessed, the rich are blessed. When verse four, it says those that mourn are blessed, the world says, are you out of your mind? Those that mourn, they're not blessed. It's the joyful and happy that are blessed. Verse five, when it says the meek are blessed, the world says, would you give me a break? The meek and the humble are trampled upon, but hooray for the strong and proud. They're the blessed. In verse six, when it says the hungry and the thirsty are blessed, the world says, what? It's the filled and the satisfied. They're the blessed ones. Verse seven says the merciful are blessed. The world says, no, keepers are blessed. The keepers for themselves, they're the ones who are blessed. And the pure in heart, in verse eight, the world says, who cares? Who cares about the pure in heart? I wanna know what a person does outwardly. I don't care about the inward. And in verse nine, it says the peacemakers are blessed. The world says peacemakers get hurt. It's the victors, it's the conquerors that are blessed. And then the icing on the cake comes in verses 10 and 11, where the world looks and says, the persecuted, the reviled, the maligned, they're blessed. And the world says, not a chance. The protected and helped and the self-defended ones, they're the one, and the praised, the noble ones, they're blessed. So there's this big disconnect on how the world sees the blessing and the blessing that's contained here in verses three through 11, and the question is, what is the difference? So I spent some time down in Loreto, Mexico, and I love to watch the ocean. Loreto sits right across about six miles away is this big island called Carmen. So there's this body of ocean water between Loreto and Carmen, and it's about six miles, and what's so amazing about it is the change that happens in that water, because in the morning, that water typically starts off with a perfect stillness. I mean, it's like glass, like a mirror. There's not a wind, there's no ripple on the water, and it's such a mirror that you can actually see the, the image of the pelicans who are flying over that water as they're looking for some sardines. It's just perfectly still. But then right around 10 o'clock, then the winds start to kick up and the surface of the water, it just starts to get these dimples on it all over its surface. And then by noon, when the wind is growing stronger, and then there's the occasional white cap that forms on the water. And by one o'clock in the afternoon, it's blowing strong and sometimes it's very strong. And there are a lot of white caps out there. In fact, I've seen nine foot waves out there. And as a matter of fact, unfortunately, I've been in some of those nine-foot waves and wonder if how I was going to get back. But anyway, that's what happens. It is so amazing to see the same water that before can be as calm as glass, perfectly flat, and then that same water can turn into a treacherous situation, turbulent. And that is a perfect picture of the, at one time, calm and peaceful, then turning to trouble and turbulent. Now, there are parts, believe it or not, in that six-mile stretch, there are parts of that water that are 3,000 feet deep. And what happens is that, you know, when you get down to like 200-foot level, I don't know, below, that water is always perfectly calm. It's peaceful. 
You'd never know there was a big storm up above. And so what the world is referring to in this blessed is a happiness, a blessedness on how the water is on the surface. The water is changeable, so one moment it can be calm, it can be like a flat piece of glass, and the next moment it can be stormy and totally turbulent, unsteady. It can be just like is described in Isaiah 57.20, Isaiah 57.20, which says, the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. And this is what the world is commenting on when the world sees a person is blessed. It's a description of what's happening on the surface of the water. And the world refers happiness as how the sea is on the surface in the morning when it's calm, not talking about the afternoon when it's choppy. And this is the difference between being young and getting old that Solomon was referring to in Ecclesiastes 12.1, Ecclesiastes 12.1, where he said, Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth when the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. What King Solomon is writing about there was how the youth, they should remember God. And he's talking about the importance of remembering God when a person is young and he's enjoying life and because he's young and he doesn't have any worries, he's got health, he's got the excitement of learning new things, he's not worried about where his food's gonna come from, where his money's gonna come from. He just looks at his parents and he he sees them writing checks and he thinks every needed life is just write a check, that's all. And those are the days that Solomon's referring to when he's talking about a young person before the evil days come. Because he means that the young person is not experiencing the evil days when life is no longer enjoyable. And this is what he's talking about, no worries, no cares. And so for the child, Solomon's talking about here, before the evil days come, it's like the surface of the water that's calm before the turbulent time comes when the surface of the water gets turbulent. And what God, what the Lord Jesus is referring to in these Beatitudes is not that kind of happiness. It's not the surface of the water happiness, one time calm, the next time choppy and stormy. And that gets to the meaning of what's blessed here because what he's talking about being blessed is something deeper. It's something that's inward. It's something that's abiding. It's not dependent on the circumstances of life. So when God calls them blessed, he's talking about 200 feet down and lower. It's that deep abiding happiness. It's not dependent on what happens in circumstances of life. It's like the hymn says, There's a peace in my heart that the world never gave. It's a peace that it cannot take away. Though the trials of life may surround like a cloud, I have a peace that's come there to stay, constantly abiding. Jesus is mine. So this is the meaning of the word blessed in these verses. It's from a peace in the heart that the world never gave. It's from a peace that can't take away. It's from a peace that though the trials of life may surround like a cloud that's on the surface I've got a peace that's come there to stay. That's 200 feet down. And so outwardly, prosperity can't give this peace. And outwardly, poverty can't take it away because it's a peace deep down. It's a peaceful peace. It's unaffected. And this is what Solomon is saying is that when a child is young and he's not worrying about how many centrifuges there are in Iran, that those child, they don't have any worries yet. And when a child is like, that's the time to build in that child the deep level, the 200 feet below. This is the time 
when Solomon also wrote in Proverbs 22.6, Proverbs 22.6, train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he won't depart from it. Children must be trained when they're young, and that's why it's so heartbreaking for us to see children who are not trained in the home. They're not trained in the home to love God. They're not coming to church to be taught. I mean, last Sunday was Easter with my family, and before we ate, I asked my five-year-old granddaughter, Kate, what day it was. I said, Kate, what day is it? Well, I was expecting that she would say Easter, but she said, it's Resurrection Day. (laughs) And I knew her response came from being raised in church and in a family where the Bible's taught. And then I asked Kate, I said, what happened on Resurrection Day? What happened on Resurrection Day? And I was expecting her to say he was raised from the dead, but she looked, she said, he's alive. (laughs) That's how children ought to be taught. That's how children ought to be taught. They ought to be trained up in the way they should go. And it's so tragic when children are just left to be taught by the TV and they're left to be taught by the video game to train them up in the way they should not go. That's a tragedy. And so Solomon's saying how important it is to have a child have a life built when they're a child at the 200 feet level where it's peaceful down there, not on the surface. And this is the meaning of the word blessed in these verses. It's referring to the peace that comes at the 200 feet level below the surface of the water. You know, one minute it's calm, and then the phone call rings, and a loved one's in the hospital, and all of a sudden the surface of the water changes by a circumstance. One minute you feel great, and you go to the doctor, and the doctor says you have cancer. All of a sudden, the surface of the water changes from a circumstance. But all those changes, those circumstances, they don't affect 200 feet down below. Now, in verse eight, the Lord Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So here's a description here of a person that has a pure heart. Here's a focus on the heart of man. What is the heart of man? The heart of man is what man is thinking about. It's what man is wanting. That's the heart of man. It's what he's thinking about. Reminds me of a commercial, maybe you saw this, for a commercial for learning languages where the scene is the German Coast Guard man. And the German Coast Guard man is manning his station and he's in front of his marine radio. And all of a sudden comes from the marine radio the voice of a British sailor. And he's calling out and he says, help, help, we are sinking, we are sinking. And the German Coast Guard man says, yeah, this is the German Coast Guard, he says, speaking. And the British sailor says, help, help, we are sinking. And the German Coast Guard says, yeah, what are you thinking about? (laughs) But no, but I mean, this is what happens in the heart of people think down there. So the heart of man, he thinks about things. And the heart of man desires, and the heart of man is yearning. That's what happens in the heart of man. And the heart of man is planning, and the heart of man is wanting. This is what goes on in the heart of man. This is what the heart does. The heart of man is on the inside of man versus on the outside of man. This is what, this means that the question, what is the focus on verse eight when he says, blessed are the pure in heart, and the focus is on the inside, not on the outside. And as far as these people that were being spoken to, that he was talking to, they were taught by the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, and the concern of the Pharisees and scribes, it was clear It's on the outside of man. 
and this is what is so telling about the opening words of Fiddler on the Roof, or Tevye the Dairyman. He starts off, Fiddler on the Roof, he goes, the Fiddler on the Roof, he says, sounds crazy, no? But here in our little village of Anatevka, every one of us is a fiddler on the roof trying to scratch out a pleasant, simple tune without breaking his neck. And he goes on, he says, it isn't easy. You may ask, why do we stay up there if it's so dangerous? We stay because Anatevka is our home. And how do we keep our balance? That I can tell you in one word, tradition. That's the whole theme, tradition. And he says, because of our traditions, we have kept our balance for many, many years. Here in Anatevka, he says, we have traditions for everything, how to eat, how to sleep, how to wear our clothes. For instance, we always keep our head covered and we always wear a little prayer shawl. This shows our constant devotion to God. You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you, I don't know. <laughs> but it's a tradition, and because of our tradition, everyone knows who he is and what God expects him to do. That is a statement that is so telling, it's so revealing, and he goes, traditions, traditions. Without our traditions, our life would be as shaky as the fiddler on the roof. See, that's the whole theme. So now, it's very interesting, because let's now analyze what Tevye has just said. I mean, first of all, Tevya says that his life and the lives of the Jewish people are like a fiddler on the roof trying to play the fiddle without falling off the roof and, as he said, breaking his neck. So let's kind of picture that. I mean, there you are. You're standing on a shaky roof of a house, and you're trying to keep your balance. You're trying to stay focused on these unstable shingles, slippery shingles that you're standing on, and, and all of your attention should be on those unsteady, shaky a slippery shingles there that you're standing on, but you got a fiddle in your hand, and instead of using your hands to try to balance yourself, and instead of using your eyes to watch out where you're standing, you're using your hands to hold a fiddle, to play the fiddle, you're using your eyes to look at the fiddle, and you're trying, as Tevya said, scratch out a pleasant, simple tune without breaking your neck. That's really something, and that's why he says, a fiddler on the roof. Sounds crazy, no? It does. So what is he talking about when he talks about that? What he's talking about is that with every Jewish person that Anatevka is symbolic of, it really, Anatevka is the world, supposed to be a symbol of Jewish people in the world. And so what he's talking about is traditions. And what are these traditions? Tevya says, we have a tradition for everything, for how to eat, how to sleep, how to wear clothes. And then he says about the heads covered and the prayer shawls, and it's showing his constant devotion to God. So Tevya is speaking for all Jewish people, and he says that there are traditions and there are rules and there are laws for everything, like how you must eat and how you must sleep and how you wear clothes and how you have to wear a yarmulke or a kippah to cover your heads. And he says that there are traditions and laws for everything, and that's true. As a matter of fact, there are 613 laws of Judaism, which are really 630, they're laws for everything because then they spider off from there. And those laws are constantly growing under the authority of the rabbis of what they call the oral law. And the question really is, whose oral law is that? Is that the oral law from God's mouth or is that the oral law from the mouth of the rabbis who wrote it? So when Tevya then 
uh, asks the question, he says, how did this tradition get started? And he gives the answer. He tells us he doesn't know, and he doesn't know how that oral law got started because Tevye doesn't say it all got started from God. And he doesn't say, well, you can read about those in the Bible, because you can't. So he really can't tell how those got started because they didn't start from God. As a matter of fact, the Lord Jesus Christ had something to say about those traditions in Matthew 15, 3. Matthew 15, 3, when he said, but he answered and said unto them, why do you also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? And he said in Matthew 15, 6, Matthew 15, 6, honor, you honor not, is for the person who keeps these honors, not his father or his mother, because he said she'll be free. Thus have you made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. So this is a conflict, because on one hand, Tevye says that all these traditions stabilize life, and without those traditions, our lives would be as shaky as the fiddler on the roof. But the Lord Jesus Christ says that because of your traditions, in Matthew 15, 3, by the way, he said because of their traditions, not God's traditions, their traditions, they transgress the commandment of God. So the Lord Jesus Christ says that by their tradition, in Matthew 15, 6, they have made of none effect the commandment of God. Because of their tradition, they have nullified the law of God. Because of their tradition, they stamped out, they canceled out, they quashed the commandments of God, God's laws. In other words, their traditions have displaced the laws of God. And don't just think that this is only the Jewish people. So, you know, as the old saying goes, Jewish people are just like everybody else, only more so. So Tevye says that there are these laws for everything. And he explains to us, talks about the laws for eating and the laws for sleeping and, and how those laws are extended. And we could say, yeah, and they also have a lot to say about the Sabbath and how you're to prepare the food in advance of the Sabbath and what are you to do about when you live on the 26th floor in Jerusalem and you need an elevator and how there's a Sabbath elevator and how you do this and how you do that. And is that really everything? Tevye said, we have traditions of laws for everything. Is that really everything? That's the question. Is that really everything, as Tevye calls it, traditions for everything? Are there really traditions for everything? What is Tevye referring to when he says everything? What does Tevye not say that there are traditions for? Tevye is not talking about a tradition for how to look on a beautiful woman. Tevye is not talking about a tradition for how to not give a woman the once-over and then how to think about wanting to take that woman around the back of the barn. He's not talking about that tradition, but the Lord Jesus Christ is. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ does have a law for how to look on a beautiful woman when he says in Matthew 5.27, Matthew 5.27, you have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery, but I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. So when the Lord Jesus Christ said that looking on a woman to lust after her is breaking the law of adultery in the heart, I was a shock. Because here in Anatevka, we don't have a tradition for the heart. Here in Anatevka, we don't have a tradition for how to look at a woman. Here in Anatevka, we don't have a tradition for how to think of a woman in the heart. 
Here in Anatevka, we don't have a tradition for how to not lust after a beautiful woman in the heart. Here in Anatevka, we don't have a tradition for what our eyes look upon. But the Lord Jesus Christ, in contrast, says, here in the kingdom of God, we do have laws for the heart. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 